0: If you've bought property, you likely funded your purchase partly through a mortgage. If the property increases in value over time by more than the cost of the borrowing, you're better off. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds (ASX ticker symbols G two hundred and GHHF) offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. This is a podcast by the Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show.
2: G'day! Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly Two Cents segment. I'm Pete Wardent, and my co-host, as always, is Chris Bates. Chris, how are you?
1: Life's good, Pete.
2: What's um What's been happening over there, mate? What's uh, What's news? Well, uh, very very busy. We were just chatting before we came on air, and uh, yeah, we're just flat out at the moment. It's that run up to Christmas. We're getting new clients on board practically by the day. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know what's driving it, whether it's a bit of a FOMO thing or I think just the lack of stock on the property market. Anyway, whatever it is, it's keeping us very busy and uh, the kids are just starting to talk about Christmas presents, which is slightly concerning. I don't know where the year's gone, but uh, it's that time of year coming around soon. Uh, How about yourself?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, there's an increased urgency probably, you know, all the way through this spring period, to be honest. I think buyers are still very picky though, Um, they're not rushing it, they're not just, you know. Under higher interest rates, you are pickier, and I think their last rate increase made people a little bit more conservative in terms of what they're going to buy. But ultimately, if something comes on, there's a real urgency to make a deal happen. And um, I I think it's going to go all the way up till Christmas, to be honest. I've seen some agents list properties in the last week that I think is pretty game. and I think a lot of sellers are wanting to sort of get out so they can get back in, you know, um, just before Christmas so they can be ready in January, February. So, uh, but still very low listings of quality properties, which is, you know, I think there's a bit of a mixed news in the market. You can see um, some people are talking about, you know, the market's really cooling off, but then you see some auction results on quality assets and they, they go really strong. So, um, but other than that, in the personal life, Tommy just turned two last week. So, we had a big birthday party and um Heading up to Newcastle to see my mum this weekend so um, for her birthday. So, yeah, birthday season before Christmas. So it's uh, something in our family November and December is of the month. So, um, cool. Let's crack into this, Pete. This is our weekly Two Cents. Um, what, what are we going to talk about this week?
2: Yeah, so every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., this is the Two Cents episode. And we cover the big three property news stories of the week. So uh, three things that grabbed the eye this week. Queensland doubles the first homeowner's grant to $30,000 for new builds, which uh, lit up the switchboards. Uh, Never popular, these things, especially with economists and overseas-based economists. They can't believe that governments would go down this route, but it was always coming. I guess uh, the question is, what happens next? So we'll take a look at that. Um, Second article was in The Age. Uh, Melbourne bursting at the seams um, had a a comment uh, there talking about whether Melbourne will ever be finished or whether we're just going to live with this construction An infrastructure boom on basically an ongoing basis, which we have really been for the past 20 years plus now. Um, So uh, interesting insights there. And um, yeah, some market research from ID and others that uh, will shed some light on that. And then thirdly, somewhat controversially, prepare for a boom in new faulty apartments macro business article this week with the Albanese government um setting a target of 1.2 million homes over five years basically more than we've ever built before uh, we're going to get another cycle of uh, project defects and significant problems with new build properties probably yes Is my gut feel but we'll take a look at that too um so chris let's start with this um article so the queensland state government announced they would double uh, the first homeowners owners grant for new properties to 30 Anastasia Palaszczuk said it'll be funded by coal royalties, of which uh, there have been many over the past couple of years. Coal price has been sky high. Um, My uh, take on this, and as I say, Chris, uh, this was very uh, poorly received on social media, as these things always are. But about a third of um, the major builders we know are losing uh, negative cash flow at the moment. So something was going to have to change because no projects are getting up over the next couple of years under the current dynamic. So um, the first homeowner's grant, always the first thing that uh, governments seem to uh, switch to. And, of course, we've got a state government election coming up over the next year or so, so I guess it's a bit of an election sweetener as well. Um, What do you think about these uh, first homeowner's grants, Chris? Look, I
1: think if it does support the construction industry at a time where they are struggling, I think that's a good thing. If it's great for the person getting the grant, I think they uh, sometimes don't realise the opportunity cost or the the lack of growth or the risk they're taking to to get that grant um, and whether they're really getting something for free or whether they're um, really, you know, potentially going to pay for that down the line. So, but, you know, I agree that, you know, what's stopping construction, I think, at the moment is, yep, builders are, you know, not going to uh, price you know, builds like they were in in twenty twenty one, were just basically buying work at low margins. I think the those days are gone. Builders are not are willing to take those risks and are going under. Um, and also, first home buyers haven't got the access to the capital. They haven't got the the borrowing capacity to make you know to actually go and purchase. And so, I think those two worlds fifteen thousand dollars extra from the state governments, it's good. You know, to potentially bridge that gap. But I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, and uh, you know, ultimately, the whole problem with first homeowner grants is that it funnels people into buying new property, whether it's apartments or houses, etc. And typically, where new houses and new apartments are in areas where there's lack of scarcity um, and there's you know more supply that could come in the future. So when you do buy, yeah, great, you feel like you have got this new house. But when you decide to upgrade in a few years' time, you go, oh, there's all these new properties available down the road that are the same price as what I paid five years ago why would someone buy mine when they can buy something brand new up the road and get the grants? And um, ultimately, then if you want to upgrade out of those properties, you can get stuck because they haven't grown as much as what you want to upgrade into. And um, they're actually hard to sell because it's not new anymore. And so that's my general take on housing, you know, new housing and grants is that, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot longer term to get a small term um, sugar hit.
2: I tend to agree. Yeah. So the improved incentive is doubling the first homeowner's grant to 30,000. So it's an extra 15,000 on top of um, what was already available. And that's already kicked in from 20th of November. And um, I guess that means um, the first homeowner's grant is much bigger now. It's triple what you get in New South Wales or Victoria. Um, and it's estimated that around 12,000 buyers would be supported by uh, this uh, doubling of the grant until... 30 June 2025, so the end of that financial year when the boost is set to expire. Coincidentally, just after the next state election, will have all wrapped up. So I guess there's a bit of that. I think, um, I mean, there's been a lot of announcements about uh, what the Queensland government will do in terms of housing supply, uh, 5 billion to be invested in social and affordable housing and a whole range of other measures. I guess the thing is the numbers are just so big. I mean, 5 billion sounds like a lot of money, but it just doesn't go a long way. And um, yeah, the numbers just um, of applications uh, for public housing is over 50,000 people now uh, for Queensland and uh, that's over 25,000 applications that uh, relates to. And uh, I mean, th- there's been a whole range of announcements from Palaszczuk over recent weeks, um, this week they said they've acquired the Park Hotel in Brisbane, 84 rooms, uh, to be used for homeless accommodation, which is great, don't get me wrong, but I think when you sort of look a bit closer at this stuff, well, it's 84 rooms, but it's actually been used for homeless accommodation anyway by the government since 2021. So it's not actually adding to the, you know, the housing supply. And um, yeah, we did see, Uh, In the 2021 financial year, there was uh, another sort of big step up in the number of uh, applications for public housing to over 50,000 people. Things are still trending higher. We're just not getting housing supply come online. I guess that's the thing. The, The government's doing its best and it's acquiring some old or obsolete properties to try and bring them into the public housing pool. But yeah, it's a, it's a big. There's just so much pressure on Southeast Queensland at the moment. It's difficult to, to sort of to, to keep pace, I guess.
1: Yeah, and they, they, I guess the government sounds like they're giving you a favour, but they not, aren't. I guess revealing how much money they actually make on new properties. You know, the development tax, GST, profits from the builder. Um, you know, it goes on and on and on. And you know, there's lots of reports out there that so it could be anywhere from 20 to 50 percent of the price of a property is due to taxes and so you know if a property goes for six hundred thousand dollars is it a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars of taxes that government makes So if they're giving you 30 grand they're not losing they're still making a bunch of cash Um, and you know taxes at all elements of um, you know local state and federal so I think you just got to be really aware that uh, you know new property is really profitable for the government and that's why they want to you know increase uh you know dwellings really so um yeah they're not really losing out here the state government giving you an extra 15 grand they know that you know in the other hand they actually make more than that so um yeah what's story number two pete's in a similar vein to be honest but it's now talking about melbourne rather than you know southeast queensland
2: yeah i would just say yeah be careful you know the the double doubling of the grant is always tempting and we always know people can't resist free money but as economists always say, you know, that extra money is probably just going to get tacked onto to the, the sale price. And if you're buying off the plan at the moment, of because so many developers are going under anyway, you need to be really careful about that. In my opinion, it is capped at seven hundred and fifty thousand. So they'll push put a lot of people into uh, in Brisbane. They'll push a lot of people into new apartments as well, which uh, I guess with the lag time always can uh, yeah. there's an extra tier of risk there, especially with some of the uh, projects falling over at the moment. Uh, So yeah, second story, uh, will Melbourne's construction hell ever end? Uh, The Age did a piece uh, this week, um, Melbourne's growing city, but will this construction hell ever end? Uh, Comedian and author Simon Taylor lamented that Melbourne has turned into a permanent construction site and he was sort of questioning whether the construction hell will ever end. And he said, uh, look, I get it, we need to build new infrastructure, Melbourne's going to be great and a you know, better future for our children but when does the future actually get here that was his question is it 20 years is it 40 years or is there a kind of no end to this so uh, since the 2001 census melbourne's population has increased by 1.7 million people and research from id um anticipates a bit of an increase in household sizes and more share housing but basically just an enormous shortage of housing uh, and infrastructure a uh, Victorian spokeswoman said this week they're expecting Melbourne's population to equal London's by the 2050s with 800,000 homes targeted for the next decade, which must be reached. I mean, that, I mean, this is kind of uh, these are very big numbers, Chris. And you definitely do get that feel every time you go down to Melbourne over we there for the grand final week. It's um, it's not the same city as it was back in the sort of 1990s, you know, a couple of million extra people, and it feels big these days. It's just a, it's just an ongoing uh, crush, I guess, and a race to keep up with our population growth.
1: Look, I think Melbourne's a global city. It's a super city now, and it um, sounds like Simon's living in a pocket where they're building a lot, you know, so he's having to deal with construction issues all the time. So he might be, I know he might be living in docklands or maybe around Richmond or, you know, there's lots of other pockets in Melbourne where, you know, building for fun, right, it could be in the city, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I think Melbourne's got a lot of catching up to do with, um, you know, with infrastructure and, you know, even things like changing the level road crossings and things like that. That's making Melbourne Melbourne better, right, um, you know, getting around the city. So uh, if you don't like change, Simon, I think you live in the wrong city. I think Melbourne's going to be a, a global super city. And, uh, you know, I think what you, from an investor's point of view, What you want to look at Melbourne and go, okay, is the city going to change over the longer term for the better? Yes, but can I buy in a pocket that's not likely to change? You know, can I buy in a little sanctuary, a little protected area where there's lots of heritage overlays and parks and it's unlikely to get much change to its streetscape and, you know, a lot not that much development in that pocket. Um, Maybe it's going to happen a lot on the main road, but it's not going to happen in this little quieter pocket. And as the city's changing and evolving, you've got this little sanctuary. You've got this little asset that's, you know, staying quiet and nice little peaceful area for a family to live as the city goes through all this construction. And I think it's, if anything, it's an opportunity for investors just to be really careful and targeted where they buy and where they don't buy. Um, and uh, but you know, that Melbourne's always changing—new bars, restaurants, cafes. You know, infrastructure, entertainment, sport. I don't know. I think it's a global city now, and uh, I think you just got to roll with the punches. I
2: have to say, we were down there for a week um, with the football on, and we had a, a fantastic week. I know it's like it's the best time of year in Melbourne. It was a hot, sunny week as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the the quality of. Uh, uh, food establishments I know everyone talks about the coffee and the laneways but uh, it really is uh, well, it's probably the best in the country I would say in terms of um, the uh, the food and entertainment side of things uh, Melbourne's population is officially projected to hit around nine million people similar to London's by mid-century but yeah the, I guess the the flip side to that city of Melbourne projections have showed there's currently a shortfall of five and a half thousand affordable homes in the municipality the figure that's going to balloon out to over 23,000 by 2036. So uh, yes, yeah, so certainly, uh, and definitely on the sort of social and affordable housing side of things, it just seems to be uh, governments are passing the buck on that side of the equation now. They're expecting uh, the private sector to deliver nearly all of the new housing and there's very little appetite for governments getting involved now, it seems. And I do um, wonder, we were talking over the past couple of years about build to rent being you know, uh, one of those sort of solutions for uh, the housing shortage. But I guess the, the thing with, uh, it's one thing when interest rates are at zero percent and everyone's looking for a return on their money. But, um, yeah, we've seen the sort of risk-free rate has been near a five now. And it's, suddenly it's not so attractive to get into residential property. And maybe a lot of those projects won't come to light or come to pass after all.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think Melbourne's got lots of things going for it. I mean, there's some great companies down there. We've mentioned Nightingale on here before. You know, Miller are doing some great, beautiful developments down there. There's lots of, um, you know, in that sort of, you know, inner ring sort of city suburban life that people are creating you know apartments that really are targeted to you know social housing you know those those companies are doing a bit in that space to uh, more affordable to you know the family market instead of houses you know these are little communities that you know families do want to live in rather than the old the old high density you know, uh, put it up as cheap as you can and it really targeted investors, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that Melbourne's going to really pivot and the, it's, the whole housing stock's going to really change over the next, you know, 20, 30 years. And, um, you know, you've also got like high, high-rise homes, you know, bigger apartments, you know, three, four-bedroom uh, um, apartments in the city and, um, yeah, I think it's just going to keep shifting um, and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit more positive, I guess, on the what they're going to build down there. I think they've got the eye for style a little bit better. Than what they have in other cities, and um, you know, I think they're going to learn from the mistakes over the last twenty years in areas like the Docklands of just building, you know, mass high density, cheap and cheerful glass towers that aren't built well. Well built, but they're really pivoting to higher quality things that really target at the owner occupier market with a good um, portion of those key worker housing, social housing, affordable housing. You know, and. Um, you know, you're right At the other end of the scale, you know, the homelessness, I think there's going to be more and more solutions there, hopefully, to start to solve those problems. But the government's obviously got to take control of those things more than ever.
2: I think that's partly a function of actually building for local buyers. Again, I think in the last cycle, so much stuff was sold to offshore investors, mainly from China um, and maybe... Um, Yeah, the developers sort of largely felt they could build almost anything and get it sold for a period of time there and stuff that wasn't really designed that much for the local buyer or renter. But I think that's changing a bit this time around because the bulk of um, new builds are actually being bought locally again. And, you know, people have a slightly different expectation of what they might uh, look to get. Now, Chris, this sort of rolls almost precisely into the third story. A macro business prepare for a boom in faulty apartments last decade. So a record number of apartments completed across Australia, most of which were high-rise, but the boom in high-rise apartments has brought with it, quote, a multitude of costly construction defects, including flammable cladding, cracking, water leaks, and balcony defects. And it's cost owners and state governments a fortune to repair, building regulation consultant Bronwyn Weir warned that thousands and thousands of apartments have serious defects in their buildings. The problem is enormous. New South Wales strata said around 40% of new apartments have significant defects. So, Chris, the Albanese government, which I noticed is actually now behind in the polls, according to Roy Morgan Research, so it hasn't been a great 18 months for them. Implications here, though, um, with their one2 million homes target over five years we're going to have to build at a faster rate than we've ever seen before and that's at a time when i certainly know in southeast queensland and around brisbane there's just so much in the pipeline in terms of infrastructure it's taking a lot of the uh, resource and materials and tradies away from the residential sector Um, so it's going to be difficult to say the least to get anywhere close to a 1.2 million homes target and almost there's potential risk here, or I suppose incentive to build stuff as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible. And uh, in the last cycle, as we know, there's a number of high-profile projects, mascot towers, or the Opal Towers. You know, those are the high-profile uh, uh, building failures. But there was a lot of defects, I, I guess, last time around, Chris.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, thinking about New South Wales here, David Chandler a few years ago got appointed to the building commissioner and. Um, that set shockwaves through the construction industry. And he's been, a, I guess, the the white knight on the horse, sort of changing the sector. And I mean, even yesterday, I believe he got some more powers in terms of making sure that builds um, have to be finished before um, people move into them. Because, you know, a lot of people did actually get forced to settle on off the plan or new houses and they'd fix the defects after they moved in. And um, I believe they're getting, you know, 400 inspectors or something from the office, um, from the fair trading that are moving to the commissioner. And you know, I do. I think it's going to be developers. Um, the issue they're having is probably not just getting these projects to stack up, right? You know, the the can their buyers borrow enough money so they can make a profit on doing the builds, and um, you know, and and at the moment, the borrowing capacity is really holding them back. You know, you saw Shane Elliott at the ANZ basically come out. He's been quite vocal on this and on a regular basis that. You know, the, you know, people in the market now is just people who are rich, you know, people who are on high incomes, they're the only ones and we're creating this inequality warfare and the tightness on the borrowing capacity is really affecting, which is right, and that's affecting inequality, etc. So I think that, you know, you're going to see this pressure to relax borrowing capacity, which is obviously in the bank's in interest but that's also what the construction industry need to make projects stack up. Um, I think there's enough demand for them, you know. Uh, You've got a rental crisis, you've got a housing affordability crisis. There should be this real um, demand for builders, but builders have got this huge increase in costs, whether it's materials or labour. And like you say, Pete, a lot of that's coming from government spending, hence why the government's pulled the the pin on lots of roads and things like that that weren't as urgent as they have to do them right now. They can probably delay them a few years. Um, and so uh, and things like this this grant to support the residential construction industry. So I don't know I think I don't think they're going to be uh, you know even things around building warranty and you know I think it's you know we're not going to go through that same let's just build them up as fast as we can I think in the last couple of decades um, and I think people like David Chandler is going to be leading the way.
2: Hopefully so yeah so parliamentary inquiry in New South Wales uncovered serious, Structural defects in recently built apartment complexes. And this year, New South Wales Fair Trading has issued more than 30 rectification work orders. Uh, back to the macro business article, engineer Leith Dawes warns that purchasing an off the plan apartment was like a game of Russian roulette in July. 276 apartments in the Inner West vicinity complex in Sydney were forced to pay 50 million to rectify building defects. I guess one of the things that caught my eye, Chris, because I used to live in uh in Pyrmont in Sydney and that was um the one central park apartment complex in Sydney not a million miles down the road there um towards the university is now riddled with defects only a decade after construction was finished the building was once renowned as the world's best tall building so um famously they had all this sort of um sort of green approach with the plants and things and uh Yes, it's been reported that um, urgent safety repairs are needed. A planter box fell onto the footpath last year. Flammable cladding has been discovered on the walls. And uh, structural engineers are beginning to assess the safety of hundreds of other plants lining the walls. And da-da-da. the article goes on. It's just interesting to me because this was like a flagship development that, I mean, it looks spectacular. But it makes you wonder if even you know, the, the sort of uh, award-winning complexes can be riddled with their defects within a decade that, you know, that you just don't know, I suppose, if you're buying something off the plan. Um, you know, you, you've the, the risk of teething issues, I suppose, is always going to be there.
1: Exactly. And trying to get out of something once it's got issues is a real nightmare. So, you know, when you buy into a building that's 40, 50, 60 years old, doesn't mean there's not problems, but at least you're more likely to be aware of those problems. And, um, you know, they're usually in the minutes. They usually take many years for people to get the sinking fund up to do the repairs. And um, you're just much more aware of what's happening in the building. If it's been around for a long time, the issues have been found out. When you buy new or even near new, some things can pop up. And building warranty insurance in the past haven't really protected the bigger buildings. And, you um, Once that's in the minutes, when people know about it, then you try to sell that apartment and people are like, well, I'm not going to buy it because I'd have no idea what I could be liable for in a few years under a special levy to fix the problems and, I agree. Once uh, that that Central Park complex is amazing to look at, um, and but we've had clients who have owned properties in that building and other buildings around there that are part of the same complex, and um, their return from a growth point of view has been very, very minimal, if at all. Um, sometimes have actually lost money on these apartments um, because. And so, even if something does look amazing, um, it doesn't mean that the people who are owning them are making much money out of them, and. Um, you know, the huge opportunity cost is if they put that into other assets like, you know, smaller apartment blocks in the east or, you know, the lower North Shore, if they spent that same amount in terms of purchase price, would have done much better for them um, financially than, you know, in this brand new, amazing looking building near the city. So, um, yeah, it's just one of the issues we've off the plan. I mean, hopefully all these you know, targeting the building issues won't be there and maybe there's better protections for consumers. But do you really need to take that risk as a buyer? Can you get something that, you know, is a bit older that has got runs on the board that's still going to suit your longer term plan? Um, And what I find is, is when the market's really tough to buy, you know, good assets that are older assets, people turn to buying off the plan. It's just at the moment, there's not many off the plans out there that are stacking up for developers. And so, um, but I think the demand's there because a lot of buyers are frustrated trying to find something for their their family.
2: Too right. I think uh, the intergenerational report said that Australia's population should balloon by 14 million over 40 years. I think if we go down that route, as the article points out, um, almost by definition, high-rise is going to form a bigger piece of the pie going forward just through necessity. We, we can't build, um, you know, sort of space um, houses in the capital cities because there just isn't the room, you know, to build for that sheer massive growth in the population. And if that's the case, uh, we're going to have periods of rapid apartment construction again. And that's usually where the risk comes, I guess. You know, we've seen this in Europe before. When you get a construction boom and builders are flat out, they're stretched um, across various projects, and uh, costs are blowing out, and all of those kind of things. Well, that's you know, that's where you get a risk of um, the high volume of lower quality properties being delivered to the market. And I guess um, all of the forward-looking indicators for construction have just collapsed, I guess. You know, building approvals, commencements, um, uh, loans to buy or construct a new home. Everything's a decade low, so we're going to go through a lull, but at some point in the next two or three years, it's going to rip higher again. And uh, I guess that's when the risks – can emerge and yeah i guess that's also what the queensland state government is looking to promote i suppose by doubling the first homeowner's grant is to try and get some more of these projects out of the ground so yeah caveat emptor as they always say now chris we're not a million miles away from uh, going into hibernation over christmas now um it's you know it's, where are we third week of november i think uh, there's various a few other bits and pieces out over the past week since we last spoke um the unemployment rate just ticked a little bit higher to 3.7%. The wages figures which we touched on last week because they were released on the morning we recorded, they came exactly in line with market expectations. So uh, Gareth ed of the CBA suggests that with things broadly sort of tracking in line with market expectations and RBA forecasts, they'll be on hold uh, with interest rates until February 2024 and most likely beyond that too unless inflation kicks higher any reason, but as he points out in a a note uh, on LinkedIn this week, um, you know generally price pressures are actually easing in Australia, we've seen it in the monthly inflation gauge, petrol prices should come down a bit, Uh, most of the business surveys seem to show things gradually improving, so it looks like the RBA might be hibernating for a few months. Um, And uh, when do things start to wind down normally in the housing market, do you think? I suppose it's a bit different in various parts of the country.
1: Yeah, I mean, we generally see very listings drop off, you know, from now, to be honest, actually, even a week or two ago. But, and I think some new listings have still been popping up. So it's going to be interesting to see if the agents have, you know, because there has been pretty dire straits this year for them, you know, sale numbers are down dramatically. Um, and so I think that, you know, they're going to work all the way flat out to Christmas. But, you know, I think the conveyances start to go away and the trades, start to go away you know that week or so before Christmas and it's really hard for them to you know get contracts done and small repairs and the photography done etc for for listings and so even though the agents want to list properties that sometimes they've got to get them already you know in in November and December if they want to list them in January um so I would say it's going to go all the way up to Christmas this year I think it's going to be but new listings are going to really dry up and when they when they stop coming on then you've only got the stuff on the market and the agents start going away and i find that january is usually a busy month where new year resolution people get through that christmas period they've got a bit more time up their sleeves they're starting to think through what's what their plans for the next year they know oh we've got to get out of our investment you know our rental by june or we really want to buy let's actually get into the market now and um i think january is usually quite busy for us as brokers because people are getting ready um for that february time when listings start to ramp up again and um yeah, I imagine that's going to be the case coming into you know next year. I mean, there is going to be a bit more confidence around you know rates next year than they were probably this year. You know, um, and where rates are going to be, whether they're going to be happy with where they are, or but I think that you know people are going to be a bit more confident they're not going to go up another four um, percent, and there might be rate cuts next year. Do we want to get it in before the rate cuts come? So that would be. My take over the next couple of months is it's full steam ahead till Christmas, you know, um, still buyers are out there. I don't think they're deterred by the the one interest rate increase this month um, and they're going to be getting themselves ready for that February timeframe in January.
2: The one thing that markets always hate is uncertainty and when interest rates were going up so rapidly, nobody really knew where the end game yep. was going to be but it, it does feel like now that... Um, at least there's some sort of more certainty about where things are going to peak out one of the things i have noticed is people just saying to me under no circumstances am i going back into the rental market um you know normally it's quite common in brisbane you know we see people sell somewhere you know they're just quite happy to rent back from the new owner for a while or just take it easy but at the moment nobody is going into the rental market because well, rents are sky high and uh, there's just no availability of stock. And so people are not so willing to sell for that reason. Um, they really, they're wanting to sort of uh, sort of rotate from one property to the next and nobody wants to go back into the rental pool at the moment. So, yeah, and it's been a weird sort of two or three years. So uh, the, the normal seasonal trends might not play out, as you say. could be people staying active all over the Christmas and New Year period. Um, but, yeah, certainly the auction campaigns tend to drop away. Uh, fairly soon so uh yeah an interesting uh few weeks ahead and um yeah we'll just be checking out the afl draft this week to see who the brisbane lions are going to end up with for this season what have you got on for the weekend chris a weekend up in newcastle so uh a bit of rest and reprieve with
1: the family helping out with the kids and um you know a four-year-old birthday party of one of my good mates so uh yeah dad life here so Look forward to having a good chat next week, Pete. And if you're not on Pete's blog, check it out—best blog in the country. And um, if you're looking for any mortgage advice, absolutely check down in the show notes. We've—I uh, don't know—maybe three, four hundred people have now come through the RAS podcast to our business, so we'd absolutely love to have a chat.
2: Sounds ideal. I was just in Newcastle only a few weeks ago with the RAS Roadshow. I always love for uh, booming city, and it's always great to see how things are progressing. So have a great time, Chris, and we'll chat next week. Talk next week. Thanks a lot.